the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you praise. We give you glory. Thank you for the joy of fellowship. Thank you, blessed Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you are blessing and imparting us, changing us from glory to glory, even as your word comes to us. Thank you for lives changed. Thank you for your word released. Thank you, Lord, that our hearts are transformed to your glory and praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. amen. Come with me to the book of Psalms 11 verse 3. It says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Foundations are very, very important. Somebody say foundations are important. Say foundations are important. Okay, foundations are very, very important. Anything we are doing Foundations are very important. Sometimes you find somebody who is a graduate, and when he speaks English, you struggle to hear what he's saying. Amen? Amen. If you go down, 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 you see that the alphabetical foundation was poor. And increasingly, we are living in times where we have a lot of such people around. Yeah, because the calm skills you do is not a foundation, it's a build-up. Somebody said the calm skills. It's a build-up. Yeah, it's a build-up. And... This generation is not a reading generation, so it also worsens the plight. This generation doesn't appreciate reading at all. We are a viewing and a watching generation. So increasingly, we are losing value. So the foundation is important. Somebody say the foundation is important. important. Yeah, if you are going to get married, the foundation is not money. Somebody say it's not money. money. If you are going to get married, the foundation is not height. Somebody say it's not height. The foundation is not beauty. Say the foundation is not beauty. beauty. Yeah, because you see, there are certain foundations that when you build on, from day one, the thing will collapse. That's why we have to get the foundations right. The Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yeah, what can the righteous do? So it's always, always, always important. It's always difficult to try to keep a building alive or standing if the foundations are poor. If they come and the building has not been painted for years, they will not pull it down. If they meet the building and some windows are not there, they won't pull it down. But if they check the structure and they realize that the structure is a risk, they will pull it down. That's why the foundation we build our lives upon is very, very, very critical. Amen? And we started looking at For us as believers, there are foundations we build our lives upon. There are people who build their lives upon other things. We are called to build our lives upon certain specific 
foundations and the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 to 11 tells us, by the grace God has given me, I have laid a foundation as a wise master builder and someone is building on it. But each one should build with care. Here he's saying that a foundation has been laid and we are going to be building upon it. And he says, each one should build it with care. Somebody say, build your own with care. Okay, then he says, no one can lay any other foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he establishes that Jesus is a foundation. Somebody say, Jesus is a foundation. Say, Jesus is a foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown forth for what it is, because the day will bring it out to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. He was speaking in the context of eternal things and eternal rewards. He says that if the foundation we build upon is Christ, we also need to be mindful what we are building upon. And I think in the earlier part of the series, I talked about the foundation of the word of God. Somebody see the foundation of the word of God. Say the foundation of the word of God. You have to appreciate that God's word is a solid foundation. And increasingly, it's sad and sickening to see that a lot of people in the body of Christ no longer see value in the word of God. People believe in visions and prophecies that cannot be founded on scripture than they believe in the word of God. Now, you must understand that if you take the authority of scripture out of your life, there is no authority. The scripture must be the pivot, the fulcrum upon which you build your life. It's very, very important. Everything you are doing, you want to ask yourself, is this scripture? Where in the New Testament can I have a support base for this action I am taking? Somebody shared something on a pastor's page I'm on. <laughs> and I sent a message privately to him because what came to my mind, I really wanted to say, I couldn't send it on that general page. So I sent a message asking him a certain question. He said, if you eat pork, you make yourself susceptible to a demonic attack. If Asha says that, I will forgive him. <laughs> Maybe Annabelle. Annabelle is younger. There are some statements, if you are intelligent through scriptures, you shouldn't make them. There is no basis for any of those. Some people say if you face in a certain direction, if you are going and you hit your foot, it means something. Oh, oh, how miserable can you be? How can you reduce yourself to such after all the school and the intelligence? Just forget about Bible. Use your head. But you see, when we set God's word aside, that's what happens. That's why we need to come to the basis. Establish our lives on the word of God. If it can't be found in scripture, forget it. Praise the Lord. So build your life on the word of God. How else can you build your life on the word of God? You have to know the word. You have to what? Yeah, you have to know the word. You have to know the word. Satan is not afraid of your shouting. If your shouting has not been rooted in the word of God. Yeah, that's why people can go to the mountain and fast 40 days and 40 nights. When they descend down into the valley... They meet their old girlfriend and they have no power to resist that temptation. Because that's not what it takes to win. You see, 
you build, your prayer builds your spirit. And it's very important. I'll be the last person to underestimate the power of prayer. If you pray consistently, your spirit is well built to deal with many issues. A person whose spirit is not well built can deal with. But you see, if you are to make intelligent choices, then the quality of information in your head must be right. And that's where the word of God comes in. It comes in to tell you this is the way to go. This is not the way to go. God's word helps you to make intelligent choices. That's why you can't take your value for the word of God for granted. Steady the word of God. Steady and steady and steady and steady the word of God. Are you with me here? And then, of course, we talked about Christ. And then last week, I talked about honor. Somebody say honor. honor. Say honor. honor. Now, I realize that honor is still a very important foundation to build a life upon. That is something that is seen consistently in the New Testament. We are called to outdo one another in showing honor. And I've told people that if you are going to learn to honor, start with God. Somebody say, start with God. Say, start with God. Start with God. God. Anybody who does not genuinely know how to honor God cannot genuinely honor men. Learn to honor God. Honor God above everything. Praise the Lord. And one way we honor God, which maybe I should spend some few minutes and talk about, is to honor his presence. Somebody say, honor his presence. Yeah, honor his presence. If you are going into a meeting with someone you honor, one of the things you don't do is to go there late. Are you with me here? Yeah. Uh, increasingly, I've seen that particularly this year, a lot of you come to church late. A lot of you come to church late. And it's a mark of dishonor. And by so doing, you put a lot of impediment on your way that you have no idea of. Dishonor in scripture is a very serious thing. People were sick and they couldn't be healed because of dishonor. That means walking in dishonor can keep you in some illnesses and sicknesses you have no idea of. Walking in dishonor. Let's not joke with God's honor. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I tell people all the time, it's not that God can do some things. But if you don't have value for a person, you won't see his power. He will be very powerful, but the power will not be released in your direction. That's all it means. If you have a husband who is very powerful, he's celebrated everywhere, but you don't celebrate him, you won't see his power. You will not see his power. You will think that, oh, a lot of people speak a lot of nice things about my husband, but I don't see it. It's because you don't honor him. Those people, when they see him, they respect him, they see value in him. You call him by his first name. The name that he has said nobody should call him with. That's the name you, you have chosen to call him. That's the name you have chosen to call him, to let him know his level. So, yes, you have kept him at a certain level, and by all means, that is what you keep on receiving at that level. So let's honor God. I hate to see people dishonor God. You can dishonor me in this church. Some people have dishonored me in this church, and I really don't mind. Yeah, because it is not about me as a person. It's about where I stand and what I stand to offer you. If you dishonor me, the anointing of God can't work in your life. So that's your own risk. But when it comes to God's honor, I have a responsibility to teach you on how to honor God. Very, very important. There is a way we behave in the house of God, which must always be superior to the way we behave in our secular institutions. Yeah. You can't go and open your shop very early because you want money and come to church late. And you expect that God's blessing and favor will rest upon your life. It doesn't work like that. You don't have respect for him. Let's be mindful. I told you I'll come back to teach on honor. I'll come back to teach on honor because we need to get it right. If you get it wrong, every other thing will be wrong. 
he came to the house of Eli. He said, because you honor your sons above me, your entire generation is wiped out. Your entire generation is wiped out. Let's be mindful that we honor God. Somebody say, we honor God. Come to think of it, Pastor James, if you honor your father and your mother and it will go well with you and you will live long, what of if you honor God? Your mother and your father were created by God. So if honoring your natural parents will make it go well with you, why well, much more when you honor God? There's a certain structure that must not be broken. And I keep on saying and I'll keep on saying it until we understand it. When you are a Christian, you don't live like an unbeliever. You don't think like an unbeliever. You don't function like an unbeliever. And if you can, but you don't have to. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that in the light of all that you have received, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, by the way, I'm not talking about waking up one morning and you prepared Saturday to be in church early and you wake up and an emergency comes up and... Because of that, you can. I'm talking about habitually coming to church late. That's what I'm talking about. I need to get that right. Because I mean, there are times, even among my leaders, there are times where somebody has sent a message, something has come up. They all come up every now and then. But when you are habitually coming to church late, you come, worship is over, you come, praise is over. Why did you come? Why did you come? Just go back and continue and to sleep and watch whatever you want to watch. Because you are coming to waste your time here. You came, you brought nothing, and you just came to receive. That's why most of the time you don't take anything valuable home. Romans chapter 12, I'm talking about the third one. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 10. Now, let's go. The Bible says, love must be sincere. Love must be what? Sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, it tells you what love does. Love is sincere. And sincere love does some things. Somebody say, it does some things. When love is sincere, there are things it does. One of the things sincere love does is what I'm doing now. It tells you the truth. Yeah, it tells you the truth. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. You can't love somebody. I love God, but I also love to steal. No. <laughs> when we love God sincerely, we do what is right. It clings to what is good. Now, it goes on to tell us, be devoted to one another. Somebody say, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. Because these are instructions for Christian living. Somebody say, instructions for Christian living. Okay, I'm born again. I'm a Christian. If you say you are a Christian, how are you supposed to live? These are the things the Bible is talking about here. In the whole book of Romans chapter 1 to chapter 8, he establishes what has happened for us. In Romans chapter 9 to 11, he helps us to see the place of the Gentiles and their role. And then in Romans chapter 12, he tells you whether you are a Gentile or you are a Jew, this is how. He sees how the Romans chapter 9 to 11 tells us about how the Jews were brought in. And then from chapter 12, he tells us whether you are a Jew or you are a Gentile, now that you are in Christ, how you ought to live your life. And that's how most of the New Testament letters are written. He tells you about what Christ has done. And then he tells you about what you ought to do in the light of what Christ has done. And that is a Christian who will be fruitful and impactful. A Christian who will be useful to God. A Christian who will not be kept in bondage, whether it's to sin or addictions 
or a Christian who will not have a lazy fair approach to godliness and Christian living is the type who, first of all, understands what Christ has done. Christianity never begins with man. It always begins with Christ. It begins with what? Christianity begins with Christ. Most of the time, when man makes an effort to reach God, it becomes legalism. That's where they tell you all kinds of things. These are the ten things you must do. No. Christianity does not begin there. It doesn't start with you. So it's not you that is trying to reach God. It is God who has reached you. And that's why some languages must be changed. I found Christ. You didn't find Christ. Christ found you. Praise the Lord. I gave my life to Christ. You didn't have a life to give. Christ gave his life for you because you were dead. And I don't know what a dead person can offer a person who is alive. You have already been told that. So that's what Christianity is. When we understand the scriptures and Christianity in that context, everything changes. Okay, so he says, be devoted one to another. Somebody say, be devoted one to another. Now, the word devoted is a very, very strong word. Very, very strong word, which we'll deal with. He says, in love, honor one another above yourselves. Then he goes on, never be lacking in Z. Somebody say, never be lacking in Z. Say, never be lacking in Z. Okay, so you can be lacking in some things. You can lack money, but don't lack Z. You can lack maybe a wife, don't lack Z. You can lack a child, don't lack Z. The Bible says, never be lacking in Z, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Today, I want to introduce to you the foundation of service. And by the way, maybe it will help for me to put out the immediate disclaimer, which a lot of people have believed in because some pastors have ignorantly or blindly preached to feed into it. And that is, anything you do in life is service. When I'm talking about service, I'm talking about service as scripture defines service. When I'm talking about service, I'm not talking about your legal practice. You can be in Ghana police service. That is not the kind of service I'm talking about. Because really, in the context of spiritual matters, that's not service. Your banking job is not service. Amen? Yeah, it's not something you'll be rewarded for in eternity. Let's get that straight. Uh-huh. So get that straight. It's not something you'll be rewarded for in eternity. The only time that job becomes something you can obtain a reward for is when it is used to advance the cause of Christ and build up his body. That is the only time. That is the only time where it will become a means by which you can receive eternal rewards. A lot of people have that misconception. And I think that in this house, it has to be cleared. Because the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the, the, the prophets, the, the pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? To equip his people for works of, so that, no, so that uh, Confanochi will have more money. So that what? The body of Christ may be built up. Your service should go to build the body of Christ. That's service. What you do to build the body of Christ is service. Not what you do to earn money. That is a means of survival. That is releasing your talent and getting rewarded for it. That's it. 
Now, if you go on further, he said, that is the sole reason why, you know, when Christ came, he came to give us himself. And when Christ left, he still gave us certain people to represent him. Whatever Christ was to us, when he left, the Holy Spirit became to us, and then the fivefold ministry became to us. When Christ ascended, these are the two main things he gave. He said, I'll go, and then the Holy Spirit will come. Then he said, when he ascended, another thing he gave was a fivefold ministry. And when Christ was on earth, he was apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, and priest. He was all of that in one. When he ascended, that office was too much for one person to fill. So he gave multiples of that to the church. One, he came to build his church. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's what he did. In the three years, the sacrifice he made, everything he did, he did all of that to do one thing, to pave the way for the building of his church. You see, that's what I'm saying, that if you are a Christian, your mind must be renewed. When we say you are renewing your mind, you are bringing your alignment to the way God thinks and the way God sees things. You align your thoughts. Like Isaiah says, he said, for your thoughts are not like my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And sometimes because of social media and sometimes because of what is popular, sometimes we are tempted to think that certain patterns or a certain way the world behaves is the way God thinks. So he made it very clear in Isaiah, your ways are not my ways, neither are your thoughts like my thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Then he says, there is a way you can have access to my ways. One is to be in Christ, because in Christ we have the mind of Christ. Then the other way is now that you are in Christ to renew your mind. Reprogram your mind, reprogram your thinking. It's very, very important. You see, a lot of Christians don't think like Christians, and so the work of God suffers. The work of God suffers a lot because a lot of Christians don't think like Christians. They think like unbelievers. There's a way a Christian must think about money. There's a way a Christian must think about property. There's a way a Christian must think about relationship, which is different completely. There's a way a Christian looks at suffering. It's all in there, in the scriptures. So it's critical that we get that. Please take me back to that scripture. I don't know why the Holy Spirit keeps me bringing it, but I think it needs to settle in your heart. Don't see your work at Confanoche as an eye specialist as a ministry. Find yourself doing something that is advancing the cause of Christ intentionally. At the end of the day, the pay you are getting there is the one Confanoche is giving you. There is nothing in heaven on your account. Unless, of course, those who came and you fixed their eye, you also fix their spirit. And you help them find Christ and be established, rooted. And a lot of Christians don't intentionally do that. If you be honest with yourself. You don't do that. Some of you feel that it's even unethical to do it. Yeah. You are so professional, so comfortable in your secular work and profession and title that you don't want to even identify with Christ. Last night, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me about things I should teach you about things you should never be ashamed of. Things you should never be ashamed of. Some of you are more proud that you are an Okatechia. You went to Opokuari school. You are more proud than the fact that you belong to ELC. You are more proud that you are a pharmacist than you are a Christian. You know, your thinking is yet to be aligned. This is where real Christians are revealed. Not what you are in the flesh, but what you are in the spirit. Am I communicating here? Look at Jesus. John chapter 13, verse 2 to 16. He says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, 
to betray him. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, and that he had come from God and was going to God, verse 4, rose from supper and laid aside. Somebody say laid aside. Say laid aside. Uh-huh. Laid aside his garment. Laid aside. And I pray that by the time we are done with this service series, I'm not too sure we exhaust it because I want to touch on some key pillars before we enter into this first quarter ends. And so, laid aside his garment, but I'm trusting that there are certain garments that are preventing you from serving like you ought to. You receive the wisdom and the grace to lay it aside. Yeah. The Bible said he took. Somebody said he took. Now, see the active words that are playing here. He laid aside and took. It reminds me of Elijah when he took up his things and bent them up and took the staff of Elijah and began to follow him. He laid aside and began to follow. Look at verse 5. He says, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was getting. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter Simon said, Are you washing my feet? Verse 7. Jesus answered and said to them, What I'm doing you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered them, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, He who is bath needs only to wash his feet but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, because Judas was there. And he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. All right. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? He's going to give them an explanation. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, <laughs> and you say, well, for so I am. He said, I am your teacher, I am your Lord. Say, I am your teacher, I am your Lord. Now, in the New Testament, when we talk about the Lordship of Christ, we are talking about his ownership of us. So, when we think about Lordship, we are not thinking about sonship. We think about Father, we think about sonship. We think about Lordship, we think about service. If I owe you, you serve me. Am I communicating? So in the book of Malachi, he says, If I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my service? You call me teacher, so I am. Now look at verse 14. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also want to wash one another's feet. Take note of that. One another's feet. Now go to verse 15. For I have given you an example. I've given you what? I have given you what? That you should do as I have done to you. Now Matthew 20 verse 20 to 28. He says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked him for something. And he said to him, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit. One at your right and take note, to sit. Somebody say to sit. Okay, because some of us, all we come to church to do is to sit. Somebody say, are you here to sit? Or you are here to serve? Okay, so he says, one to sit at the right hand and the other at the left in my kingdom. 
He didn't even say in your house. He said in your kingdom. When you get into your kingdom, this is how I want things done. Now look at what Jesus said. <laughs> Jesus said, you do not know what you are asking. <laughs> A lot of people pray and they are asking for things they don't know what they are asking. You do not know what you are asking. Lord, give me this, give me this, give me this. He said, you do not know what you are asking. <laughs> he said, are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? They said, we are able. <laughs> cheap talk, cheap talk. They said, we are able. But you remember when he was arrested, none of them was around. They all left him. At the time of the cross, all of them left John was the only person who had capacity to stand by. And even though he was watching from afar, he said, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared for by my father. Look at this. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers because they wanted the same thing. And Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 26, It shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you must be your, must be your, must be your. Now let's finish it up. Whosoever will be first among you must be your slave. And then he tells us the same thing again, just like John. He says, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that is the standard of service. The Son of Man came not to serve, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Jesus defines service as contribution and what you give. Somebody say service. service. It's what you are giving. That's what service is about. What you are giving what you are contributing, the value you are adding. May I ask you this morning, in the service that you are in, most of the time, I'm going to service. Really? Well, we don't really understand what we are doing. We actually come to be served. We don't come for service. When you come for service, you participate. Now, imagine that everybody came to service the way you walked in late, casually, as if nothing is at stake, and you came to take your seat. If everybody came here like that, I wonder whether this thing you are enjoying now, the atmosphere will be created for you to enjoy what you are enjoying. Some people are to be here, cleaning up this place, setting up this place, and getting the place organized for you to come enjoy. Some people have to make sure that the janitry is taken care of. Every time somebody goes there to make sure it's taken care of, you just sit in and you enjoy and say you are serving God. No. You are serving yourself. Because the Bible said there are some people, they are not serving. In fact, in the New Testament, it said there are people who serve their bellies and are those who serve themselves and not Christ. In God's kingdom, where you serve is far more important than where you sit. Somebody say, where I serve? It's far more important where I sit. Service is a true measure of greatness in God's kingdom. Jesus built his life on the unshakable foundation of service. Now, increasingly, service is running out of our vocabulary. In the world, people don't know how to serve. I mean, this is a generation where nobody wants to do anything for free. Nobody. 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 And if I'm to recount to you, people have shared their testimonies of just going out of their own way to be a blessing to somebody, not with the intention of receiving something, but just to be a blessing, just to help out. 
Not in church or outside church. And the dividends that act has brought into their lives, you have no idea. Christ built his life on the unshakable foundation of service. Look, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 29, the early apostles and Christians also built their lives on the foundation of service. He said, look on their threat and grant to your masters. Is that what they said? Grant to your apostles. He said, grant unto your servants. Because that's who they were. The Holy Ghost came upon servants. Why would the Holy Ghost come upon servants? Because he has an assignment for them to execute. Are you with me here? Apostle Paul built his life on the solid foundation of service. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as stewards, servants of Christ, and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards and servants that M1 is found to be faithful. May you be found faithful. Amen. I said, may you be found faithful. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he said, Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. This is Paul. I have served him far more. I have served him far more. May you serve God far more. Amen. Then he says, I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and face that again and again. This is Christian service. Somebody say, this is Christian service. Christian yeah, this one that it has rained, so I can't come for rehearsal. I don't know, you are just joking. You are not serving. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I have this headache. I don't think I can make it for service today. Really? Somebody was in prison and out of prison. He will not give himself rest. That's how come you have the letters you read. That's how come the gospel is in your hands today. That's why I asked a question a couple of weeks ago. If this gospel that has come to us, if it was entrusted to our generation, in the same attitude we have today, this self-serving, self-loving, self-satisfying generation has, if that is the same attitude the early Christians had, I'm not sure we have anything called the gospel today. The Bible said they love not their lives, even unto death. Now, we also love our lives that want to be far away from death. Can I show you who a Christian is? A Christian is not the one who just says, I'm born again and I go to church. No, 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 no. That's the first state. You see, when you acknowledge what Christ has done, it's exciting. It's exciting. By reason of his death and his righteousness, it's true. But other people's lives are now entrusted to your care. And God is counting on you whether or not you'll be able to carry the baton to the next generation. You see, it never ceased to amaze me how the early apostles... In fact, if you look at this, our generation, eh, it's a title-oriented and an entitlement generation. Title-oriented and entitlement generation. What can I get from this? When we come for service uh, today, the choir didn't impress me. Who said they were out to impress you? You see, you are so preoccupied with yourself that you can't see value in anybody but yourself. No wonder you have no value. Because life is not about you. Life is about something bigger and greater than yourself. See the way the ushers have, they didn't see that. Uh, do I have to organize the chair? See, they, 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 I think it looks like the person who arranged this chair, his eye is not straight. Your own is straight. You whose eye is straight, what do you use it for? Somebody say a servant. A servant. Now, is it not interesting that when you read the letters of Christ, the people who should elevate themselves, 
rather kept themselves down and down and down and down. They understood really that the greatest is the servant. So if you look at the lives of the apostles, they were not describing themselves as servants. If you read it, James, I mean, if Jesus was your brother, would you say you are a servant of the Lord? That's the first thing you want to be known about. That's the first thing you want people to know. I want you to know, listen, myself and Jesus, we share the same mother, Mary, Mary. In fact, <laughs> after Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, I was the next in line. Now, that is what you'll be impressed with, but not the apostles. Paul is introducing himself in most of his letters. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ. A born servant of Jesus. This is Paul. Paul. Paul was no mean man. He would have said, Paul, the esquire, because he was. Paul, the doctor, because he was. Paul, the accountant, because he was. Paul was a scholar by all means. I mean, let's call him scholar. Peter, who taught, and people were amazed with him, could not bring himself to understand the wisdom, the unique wisdom that was finding expression in Paul. But he said, Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ. A born servant. Born servant. Born servant. Now, that word born servant is very important because describing yourself as a servant is different from a born servant. If you are a born servant under the, that era, let's say you own a debt you couldn't pay and then the price was that you'll be jailed. And then they put you in jail. If somebody was very worthy enough and he had capacity to step in, he could step in and pay for you. When he pays whatever you need to pay as your debt, by paying for that, he has bought you. So you have become his servant. All right? Now, but the Jewish law was so strategic that you were not his servant for life. What you did was that for a period of 70 years, you were going to serve him. Because he has bought your freedom. So you serve him for seven years. But most of the time, the price that was paid for their redemption from prison or from whatever catastrophe they were in was so high that even after the seven years have expired, you will not have fully exhausted the dividends of the payment. That was what happened. And so if you had a servant coming and looking at how grateful he is, the fact that he was in chains, you have delivered him, you have brought him out, and the fact that even the period that he's supposed to serve you is not enough, some of them will say, no, I don't think that what you have done for me, the seven years has come, and I'm free to go and do whatever I want. But you know what? I am grateful. I am grateful. I am grateful for freedom. I am grateful for life. I'm grateful that you have given me an opportunity to live again. So you know what? I don't want to leave you. I want to serve you for life. And when they make that commitment, what they will do, is that they will take this in and will pierce through their ear loop. And then they will put something inside there. And that shows that this one is a bond servant. So that's what you use to distinguish between bond servants. So the other servants who are working freely, the bond one, you see them with something in their ears. They are bond servants. Let me tell you, the price that was paid for your redemption, you can't do anything about it. You know what? I used to think that service is a choice. Until in the New Testament, I understood this. The day I read this, I realized that service is not a choice. Service is a must. You don't choose that I have chosen, like they say, Joshua. If you not serve, choose you this day whom you serve. No, 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 no. When he bought you and redeemed you with his blood, you became his object for life. 
You became his property. And all you need to do is to serve him. So it's not a choice whether I can make some. You know, when you are doing something and it's like you are doing a person a favor, there's a way you do it. There's a way you do it. There are people who come and they are cleaning church and they think they are doing me a favor. They are doing the church a favor. There's a way you do it. There's a person who comes and because he's so overwhelmed with gratitude for the gift of salvation, they do it with great joy and with great excitement. That's the kind of thing we are talking about. Mom servant. And listen, it wasn't only Paul. Look at James. James chapter 1 verse 1. He said, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Simon Peter, a bond servant. Now listen, that came before their introduction as apostles. They were proud to be identified as servants than they were proud to be identified as apostles. You know, whatever means a lot to you will come first. Who are you? I'm a child of God before I'm a lawyer. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. That's the first thing. When you are preoccupied with it, but you see, your profession has eaten your head so much that that's the first thing you want everybody to know about you. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. You know, when you don't tell people who you are, and as you are seven, they discover who you are, they learn to respect and honor God more. Can you imagine? You go to the washroom, a sister is taking care of the place. You don't know who the person is. And later, you meet the person in court defending a client. And that's a lawyer. You will see that this person has value for Christ. I'm not communicating here. Not uh, going about throwing your weight and I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. No, 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 no. That's not for church. That's not for church. Church is not a place where we come to display our professions. It's a place where we come to serve God. We reduce ourselves to the floor and we serve God. I'm not communicating here. Listen, we are not. That is what we are called to do. We are called to serve. I'm not communicating here. That's what we are called to do. Revelation is 1 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at this revelation of Jesus Christ. Which gave him to show to who? His servants. What must soon take place? He's made it known to me by sending his angel to his to his what? Servant John. Now listen, when I talk about these things, eh, these guys were not nobodies, really. Some of them really were. But others were, the kind of things they did, they would not rather identify themselves with servanthood at all. In fact, as for Paul, the higher he went, the more he reduced himself. The higher he went. At some point, he says, are they apostles? I am more. Then he talked and bragged about all of that. Later on, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. And when he was going to the dying ends of his life, the last days of his life, he said, I am Christ obtained mercy. I used to be the chief sinner, but he has obtained mercy upon me. You see, Christian growth, one major criteria that Christian growth brings humility and service. The higher a person goes in Christ, the less they bring themselves. The higher a person goes, the less they bring themselves. The higher a person goes, the less they bring themselves. I heard the story of one man of God in Ray Macaulay, Rema Church in South Africa, an awesome, 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 awesome church. Many years ago, they threw a conference. They had a big conference, and at the end of the day, their bills could not be met. They couldn't handle the bills, that the cost of the conference. And then, some way, somehow, they all had to go. And along the line, in the middle of the night, while he was in the office, the people left the place very late, just like all conferences. 
when you have the conference, when you close, the workers, they will stay behind, fix things before they left. So by the time they finished all of that, it was way, way, way too late. And then they had to go. So while he was in his office later in the night, he decided to step down. When he stepped down, somebody had opened tap and the tap had just flooded the place. And was just left with a few hours for the meeting to start. And the people left the place very late. What will you do? If you are a chief executive, you will call out for them to come do it. But because this one understood service, he decided to remove his jacket and like Jesus, he began to handle the matter. And while he was at it, one billionaire man who didn't know Christ at all had gone to nightclub and the thing had just entered him and he was on his way. But along the line, he just felt that he should just drive to the church area. He went to the church area at that time of the night. While the man was busy serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Listen, when you serve God and you are not serving him to get something, but you are serving him for who he is and what he has done, he gives you more than you can ask. He gives you more than you can ask. You see, I want transactional Christianity to end in our church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, transactional Christianity. Because what you say you need, I'm not even sure that's what you need. Because God knows what you need more than what you, you think you need. Am I communicating here? And God gives those ones to us without our asking. Your greatest dream may be to work with MTN. And God's agenda is to link you with Google. And you are so preoccupied, you are feeling disappointed. And you have I prayed, I prayed, I serve, I serve. And God didn't come through for me. No, listen, you see, you have your priorities all misplaced. While he was at it in the middle of the night, the man came there, and this man was busy cleaning the floor. He said, I'm looking for the pastor. He said, I am the pastor. He said, really? I'm in the pastor of this church. He said, I am the pastor. He said, God spoke to me to bring you a million dollars. Praise the Lord. A million dollars. Listen, he was holding those things cleaning when that thing came. Because God had found in him a servant, not a boss. That is what Christian service is about. That's what Christian service is about. Most people look at Christianity today and we look at the outward and we think that's what Christianity is. No, 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 no. Do you know what it meant to wash people's feet? That was a job assigned to the lowliest people in society. That was a job. That's why nobody took it up. Only Jesus took it up. Because all of them felt they were something. They were discussing where to sit. They were not looking for who to serve. Listen, in this life, you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's fine. And that guarantees you a place in eternity. But listen, you can still be in heaven and be very miserable. What we do for the Lord eternally will determine what we receive from the Lord eternally. We are not called to do anything less. Give me Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. He says, let this mind be in you. This is the mind you must have. Somebody say, this is the mind I must have. What is the mind I must have? Let this mind be in you. Paul was admitting that there's a mind you have which is not correct. There's a certain mind you have which will be inimical to the progress of the gospel. There's a certain mindset you have. If you allow that mind to stay, there is no way we can make progress. And the man began to talk about it. He said, let this mind be in you. In order for this mind to be in you, there's an old mind that must go. So embrace this mind. Then he said, if you are looking for Jesus... As a servant, this was the mindset he had. And that's where service begins from. Anybody who serves and serves with the right attitude has a different mindset. They have a different mindset. They have a different mindset. There are some people 
who serve because others are doing it. There are some people who are willing to do it even if nobody else will do it. It's a different mindset. It's a different mindset altogether. Look, he said, let this mind be you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at this. He said, who being in the form of God? Look at where he was. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know, some people consider cleaning toilets in church inferior to their status. So they won't do it. I'm about communicating here. He feels, oh, I'm a banker. Why should I be found doing that? Now, that is the toilet Jesus uses. That is the urinal Jesus uses. If President Akufadu uses a place and they ask you to go clean it, you'll be proud to do it because you don't know what that may mean for you. It could mean that in the next Baumia government, if he ever comes to pass, you'll be given a, a special place because you are not sure you'll be glad. But listen, Jesus said, as long as you have not done for the least one of these, my brothers, whatever we do for one of these, we do for the Lord. What you do for one of these least people, we do it for the Lord. That is service. What I'm doing for you now, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the Lord. And from the Lord, I shall receive a just reward from him. Look at this. He did not consider it inferior. He didn't consider it. Some people feel that they are above. They are too old to be in the choir. They are too big. They are too busy to be available. He says they did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But look at this. But made himself of no reputation. Is it not reputation that keeps people from serving? Yes, sir. They have no reputation. You know, I mean, I confirm not today, I'm a big man. Because of their reputation, the Bible said, taking upon him the form of a born servant. Did you see that? A born servant. A born servant is a willing and a grateful servant. He serves willingly and he's doing it out of deeper depth of gratitude. A born servant. Coming in the likeness of men, the Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient. Now, let me try and see if I can explain to you what it means to serve. Number one, what does it mean to serve? To serve is to spend your life in active pursuit of his will and his purposes on the earth. That's number one. To serve God is to spend your life in active pursuit of his will and purposes on the earth. That's what it means to serve God. And Jesus said he did not come to serve, but to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. What did he do? He came and his greatest obsession and business was God's business. That's what he said. He says, I have not come down from heaven to do my own will. That is John 6, 38. Not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That is a servant. A servant does the will of his master. Jesus' mother told them in John chapter 2, verse 5, he said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do what? Whatever he tells you, that's John chapter 2, verse 5. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. He said to his servants, that's what servants do. Servants do whatever. He said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That's what a servant does. And Jesus came and his primary preoccupation was doing the master's way. See how Apostle Paul described himself. He said, my life, that is Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But my life, somebody say my life. life. Let's read it together. One go. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace. Let me ask you, what is the worth of your life? Because the worth of your life is defined by what you are using your life for. What are you using your life for? 
Is it for yourself, for your family, or for the kingdom? Number two, to serve God is to prioritize his God and the interests of his kingdom above all else in your life. Giving priority to God and the interests of his kingdom. Somebody say the interests of his kingdom. Say the interests of his kingdom. Paul, by the spirit of prophecy, was speaking about cancers that will be available in the last days. He said in the last days there will be perilous times. And because of perilous times, serious cancers will appear. And he began to outline some of those cancers. He said one of those cancers is a cancer of ingratitude. Then he talks about the cancer of selfishness. Cancer of selfishness. Because it will destroy, he said, they will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, more than lovers of God. Now here, Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what? Please say it. Seek ye first the kingdom of what? And all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first. Not second. Seek ye first. 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 In the book of Philippians, eh, Paul spoke before he talked about Jesus because he actually talked about three kinds of people there. The first person was Christ, and then he talked about other human beings there. Now look at this with me. He says, do not, let's read it together, do not make personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Now this is the prelude to his saying that let this mind be in you. Because the reason why a lot of us can't serve is because we are looking out for what is convenient for me. The choir meeting time is not convenient for me. Who do you think is convenient for? If everybody wanted a convenient time to do something, none of us would do anything for the Lord. That's why the bottom line of Christian service is the willingness and readiness to sacrifice. If you are willing to sacrifice, you can't serve God. Forget it. You cannot because it's not about you. He said, don't look out merely for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Verse 5, he says, have the same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Jesus, to look to him as your example in selfless humanity. Do you know why you are saved? Because Jesus was not preoccupied with himself. He was not so into himself. I'm God. Why go down? Why bring myself low? No, 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 no. The Bible said he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's not his, his preoccupation. He was not full of himself. So he emptied himself. In fact, some modern translation, he emptied himself of deity and took upon himself humanity. And then he was found in the fashion as man. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto that. You think that people have time. That's why they are doing what they are doing. That's because you are selfish. That's because you are self-seeking. That's because you think life is all about you. Look at this. Timothy had the same spirit. So after he gave us the example of Jesus, he came to talk about Timothy and then he talked about Epiphroditus. And I'm sure that as we go along, I'll come back to deal with them. But let me just introduce you to Timothy and I close. Now look at this. He said, but I hope, I hope, somebody say, I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. That I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now look at verse 20. Let's read it together. For no one, for I have no one else like him. Kindred in spirit, 
Who will be genuinely concerned for your spiritual welfare? That's a Christian who is actively in service. He's concerned about people's spiritual welfare. Their well-being is a priority for them. This is Timothy's pastor's testimonial of him. Some of you have impressive testimonials. If you went to your early boss for a testimonial to be so impressive, but if they came to me, I don't think I'll have any meaningful thing to write about it. That's what we are talking about. And you see, my testimonial of you is God's testimonial of you. That is too much in one service for you to understand. I will explain it to you someday. My testimonial of you is God's testimonial of you. He says, I know Timothy. There's no one like him. He carries the right spirit and he's concerned for the welfare of people. Most people in church are just about their prayers are about themselves. Everything they do is about them, themselves. Look at verse number 21. He says, For others have deserted me after my arrest. All seek to advance. Now take note. All seek to advance what? They are all read it so that the Holy Ghost will bring conviction to your heart. One go. All seek to advance. Not those. Now listen. What it means is that while you are pursuing career progression and excellence, God's work is also suffering. Well, you are so preoccupied. I was speaking with one of my daughters who has done some fantastic things and is about doing. I told her, listen, I am very proud of what you are doing, but I'm most excited when I see you taking care of the washroom. When I see you getting busy taking care of what you do. Because she does it with such a spirit of joy and gratitude. She's up professionally. But listen, you see, everybody must know your job. I'm a pastor. My job is not to train you and equip you for professional progress. That they do at Gimpa. No, no, I must tell you. I must tell you. That's what God will hold me accountable to. When I do that for you, it's a bonus. That's not my principal responsibility. If you check where we read, he said, I'm to equip you for works of service. I have to equip you for works of service. Because eternally, because some of you, when you come here, that's all you are looking for. So when I'm preaching on messages of salvation Christ, uh, Pastor Christ, and that's what they are looking for time. When I'm talking about how to build a happy home, when you have a happy home on earth, but you have a miserable home in heaven, what is the benefit in there? There are people who never enjoyed a happy home. John Wesley never knew that. And yet we have the Methodist Church out of it. Do you know how many people are saved out of the Methodist Church? This generation of Christians are just so opposite the generation of Christians that were in the Bible. That's why we don't see God's power. That's why we are not able to see miraculous provisions of God in our lives. And that's why we will keep on being a needy generation. That's it. He said, they are all interested. John Wesley will go for hours, weeks, had a demonic wife who will not give him rest. But in spite of that, John Wesley will not let down sleep. He carried the gospel, not on in Mercedes, Benzes, and cars, but he was doing it on horses. Traveled several miles, and while he's at it, his wife is writing miserable, stupid letters and doing all kinds of things to him. And yet this man laid down his life. Listen, when we get to heaven, you'll be surprised. Oh, the way you are living your life and you are all comfortable and everything is about you, your children, my husband and I, and those funny, funny, at least satanic mentality that has... Listen, you'll be shocked when you get to heaven. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. That's not Christian living. A lot of Christians today are living for self, not for Christ. That's all they're about. It's about me, myself. Look at the amount of sacrifice you can make if you have to pass an exam. Do you make the same sacrifice for God? When we say we are reaching out, you are going for outreach this Saturday. You have all the reasons why you can't be there. 
But if your boss wanted you to step in his role for him, every other excuse will be set aside. And you call yourself a Christian. I doubt you are one. I really doubt you are one. I really doubt you are one. I really doubt you are one. Now, that's my assignment in your life. Those who receive that assignment, I will help them. You see, I don't preach to make you happy. I preach to make him happy. That is why I'm a servant of Christ. If I'm here to please you, then I'm not a servant of God. But when my objective is to please him, I'm happy to make you angry, dissatisfied today, but eternally happy. That's my assignment. The Bible says all of them, they are seeking to advance their own interests. I know. You see, thank God for the professionals who are here. But listen, professional excellence is not synonymous to spiritual excellence. And you will not be rewarded for professional excellence. Pursue it. I teach you. I'm an excellent person. I like all of that. But listen, look at Daniel. Was he not professionally on top? Was Daniel not spiritually on top? That was a man, a balanced man. Every sphere. You, when they call you at your office, everybody will speak well of you, except when we call you at pastoral leaders meeting. If you are looking for somebody to trust with their responsibility, won't call your name. Because we know your excuses are 101, but you have no excuse for your earthly boss. Because you love money. Because you love position. Because you love professional growth. Hey, that's not what Christianity is about. Listen, the same people who can make such sacrifices for Christ, when they get into those positions, I bet you one thing is certain, they will use it to advance Christ. They will never use it to advance Christ. If you cannot advance him today, he didn't die for you to have a comfortable life. He died to give an example for you how you ought to live for others. I'm not complicating here. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. A Christian is not looking for comfort as Christian gives up his life in order to bring comfort and joy and deliverance and salvation for others. And I pray that in this church you'll be a true Christian. Amen. I pray that beginning from this year, you will not just be coming for service to receive, but you look for what you can do to add value to the service. If you care and you are thinking about how can I be a blessing to this house? How can I be a blessing to someone? How can I add value? And everybody is thinking about how to add value. There will be no needs. I'm not complicating here. There will be no needs here. But if you come with the mentality to receive and go, that is why those prayer camps are always full. Ask yourself, why is it always full? And the people who go there, they are the same people who go there every day. Because it's about them. It's not about Christ. Praise the Lord. It's not about Christ. It's not about Christ. And I pray that the Lord will help all of us. Lift up your hands and pray. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. 
Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no, no, no.